Revelation 14 today. We're going to keep marching on. Uh, let me give you a little review. Uh, a couple Sundays ago, Satan was booted out of heaven in chapter 12. There was this struggle going on in the heavenlies, and Michael and his angelic army throw Satan and his team out of heaven. Uh, so now, uh, midway through the tribulation, halfway point, Lucifer, the devil, that, that great red dragon is confined to earth. How do you suppose the red dragon receives the news that he's been booted and now he's confined to earth? Uh, what kind of mood do you suppose he's in? in anyone? Yeah, I think he's uh, kind of ugly and foul and uh, on the war path, and that's exactly what we saw last week. Revelation 13, uh, Satan comes and empowers the first beast, the Antichrist, to take charge of uh, ten nations and builds this alliance. And then the Antichrist, give me your eyes, receives what seems to be a mortal wound. It appeared that he was killed, but he didn't really die. And when he recovers, everybody, wow, they are impressed. Then the second beast comes on the scene, the false prophet, pretending to be anybody a lamb but he really was a wolf in sheep's clothing and he performs all sorts of miracles and the world is so mesmerized the antichrist is healed the power of the false prophet the second beast by the score millions and billions are worshiping satan and the antichrist and the false prophet and anyone left on planet earth who did not receive the mark of the beast. Do you recall that last week? Six, 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 either on their hands or on their foreheads. If you didn't receive the mark, suddenly now you couldn't buy or sell anything. This would be like the worst time to be here on planet Earth and be a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's going to be really bad. I'm quite certain that Christians who choose to remain true to Jesus here it seems as though Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet, they're winning. Matter of fact, I think if there was a scoreboard, uh, I, I believe they'd look up and it, it, I think I see Satan's team and the Antichrist 56 and Jesus' followers zero. Uh, that's how it would feel at this time if you were a follower of Jesus. Um, but we're going to see then uh, the perfect coach. The, the perfect coach come in at halftime and give his team, the tribulation saints, uh, the halftime speech of all time. And you know what that halftime speech of all time is called? Anybody? It's called Revelation 14. That's exactly what we get. Jesus says, I know it feels like you're losing. It feels like you're getting creamed, followers of mine. But I'm going to give you a little speech and I'm going to give you a little preview of what's coming. I want you to get the picture of uh, what's actually coming our way, and he kind of fast forward the rest of the book of Revelation to us, and that's what we find here in Revelation 14. It's like this wonderful halftime speech, encouraging, you can do it, you're on the winning team, and we win. That, that's the message of Revelation chapter 14. Would you stand with me? Revelation 14, verses 1 to 5, this is that awesome halftime speech encouragement if you feel like you're losing you're getting creamed right now 
this is probably for you. Verse 1, read with me, would you please? Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven, like the roar of rushing waters, and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne, and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remain virgins. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for bringing us encouragement when life gets overwhelming and hard and painful. And I want to pray for my friends who are here right now who are right in the middle of one of those painful, difficult times in their life. We're grateful, Lord, that you as the awesome creator, the, the one who purchased our freedom on the cross, the one who inhabits our very beings with your spirit, the one who walks by our side as our shepherd. Lord, I'm grateful that you know exactly what's going on in each and every person's life here today. And Lord, I pray for hope and encouragement and peace and strength and all the good stuff that you have in your grace and your mercy. Would you rain down on those who need that even today? Lord, uh, we're not in the great tribulation, but Lord, the truth is uh, this life is full of trouble and tribulations. So we hold on tight to you today. Pray especially for the Mihalich family right now. Lord, rain down good stuff on Ward and, and Drew and Chris and, uh, and Robert as he flies in today. Lord, I pray that uh, as Jan likely is going to go and be with you today, that, uh, Lord, we'd realize that she just got promoted, that she's going to be with you, and uh, she's experiencing the ultimate healing, and yet, Lord, we still grieve because we're going to miss her. So, Lord, watch over that family. May we as their church family love good on each and every one of them. And now, Lord, as we study Revelation 14, we need your help. Lord, uh, these pictures that uh, you uh, had John record for us, they're, they're hard to understand. So, so we need your insight and your wisdom. We need uh, your spirit to come and take charge of our lives so that we can understand what your spirit inspired John to write down. So you come and rule and reign individually. Lord, you take charge in your church here at Walloon today. We're asking that Jesus might be lifted high even as we study your book. Lord, help us to hear clearly from his still small voice. And all the church gathered at Walloon said with uh, a joyful Hosanna,
Should I give you another run at that? Okay, so, yeah, okay. Let's, let's try it again. And all the church at Walloon said with a joyful hosanna. Amen. Well done. You may be seated. Verse 1, 144,000, um, that's the same 144,000 that we found first back in Revelation chapter 7. Now that's 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, they've been sealed by Christ, 7-4, protected, marked, as these belong to Jesus, and they are his missionaries, ambassadors to a lost world and and they're they're like 144,000 apostle pauls on the march um, they've now completed their seven-year ministry okay remember we're kind of getting this fast forward and, and he's saying i know you think you're losing right now church you're in the middle and it's really bad but let me just give you a preview of coming attractions okay they have the mark of the lord jesus on their foreheads verse one who are they standing next to? Who's to say they're standing? And before me was the, and with the lamb was the 144,000. So just see, they're standing right next to Jesus. And while John's looking up, he hears this sound. And it's an amazing loud sound, roar of rushing water, loud peal of thunder, and then the harpist playing their harps go crazy. Okay, I have a question for you. How many of you really like harp music? Can I see hands? Okay, now now this calls for honesty. How many of you not so much? Can I, anybody? Yeah, okay. Uh, this is interesting. Uh, the root word uh, that's used here that's translated harp, uh, kitana, is the same root word of our English word. You ready for this? Guitar. Okay, isn't that interesting? What it really means, it's, it means stringed instruments. And, and we translate it in English, guitar, same root word as this. So really what's being played here are stringed instruments. Now, obviously the stringed instrument that John was familiar with was the harp. But we would be more familiar with the stringed instrument called the, the guitar, okay? So again, let that marinate in your brains for what it's worth. Verse 3 and the 144,000 are singing a new song. And it's interesting, only they can sing this song. Sorry, angels, you can't sing this song because you haven't been redeemed from your sins by the Lamb. Only we can sing. And it'll be fun for us to hear them belt out this 144,000 strong choir singing this new song. Verse 4 boy has this verse been abused over the years uh, look at it these are those who did not defile themselves with women you know and you could see somebody banging the pulpit as they say that um, let me just tell you this okay Hebrews 13 4 sex between married couples is pure and there's nothing defiling about sex in marriage can I hear an amen you're allowed you're allowed Really? Did you just? Yeah, yeah. There's nothing defiling between a husband and wife enjoying the good gift of sex. Okay? So that's not what this is talking about. What this is talking about, if you go back to 921 of Revelation, 921, uh, this was a time of rampant sexual immorality. 
sex outside the boundaries of marriage. Tracking? And, and what he's saying here is that these 144,000 were not involved in that stuff going on in 921, that outside of marriage sexual immorality. Uh, matter of fact, they, they remained single for this seven-year period. They were totally focused on their mission to talk about Jesus everywhere they went. Verse 5, no lie was found in their mouths. They were blameless. No lie was found in their mouths. They were blameless. Would that be true of you this past week? Think about it. How, how did your mouth do this past week when it came to being blameless? Uh, when people listened to your mouth, the words that you say said, did they see Jesus? Did they hear from Jesus when they heard your words this past week? I think sometimes we, we forget that people are listening. Probably one of the things they notice most about us are the words that proceed out of our mouths. And I said this before, uh, Psalm 141, verse 3, that's the prayer that I pray more than any others. Lord, put a guard over my mouth. Lord, set a watch over the door to these lips of mine. I'm just telling you, your words matter. And I really like the fact that their words of the 144,000, they were blameless. Because here's the truth. You and I are the only Bible that lots of people will ever read. They're only going to see Jesus. They're not going to get into the Word, but they're going to read us, and they're going to listen closely to our words. Verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, people. Verse 7. He said in a loud voice, Fear God, give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Now this is interesting. Verse 6, the angel is flying, I think, safely above uh, Satan's reach. Remember, he's been confined to the earth. Uh, so he's flying and he's flying all over planet earth and telling everybody, if you're undecided, fear the God of the Bible. Give your life to Jesus Christ, the Lamb. Uh, if you're considering taking the mark of the beast to survive, reconsider that thought. Uh, you better fear the one who created everything. Um, verse 7, I believe this message of this angel is saying, you got one last chance. Fear the one who created you. Romans 1 and 2 says that every person ever born has a built-in knowledge that there's a God. Everyone... We know creation testifies and we have within us a knowledge that there wasn't just this primordial stew that blew up and then suddenly everything. No, we know, no, if there's the creation, there was a creator. And now this angel's flying over and saying, you better fear him. You better give your life to him. Verse 8, a second angel followed and said, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great which made all the nations drink the maddening wine 
of her adulteries. Well, what's that talking about? Well, if you go back to Genesis 10, there's this guy named Nimrod. It's kind of fun to say. You want to say it with me? Nimrod, yeah. Uh, and Nimrod was a God-defying rebel, and Nimrod founded this city which would become the first world power, Babylon. And the Babylonians were known for their idolatry. They were known for their brutality and warfare. And they were known for their immorality, especially sexual immorality. Verse 8, look at it. Second angel is saying this. The false political and religious system that follows in ancient Babylon's footsteps... This, this system that's going on here in the tribulation time that's just like Babylon used to be, it's about to fall and go splat. It's about to fall flat and it is going to be no more. This, this system that is following in, in the footsteps of Babylon, it's almost done right now. Interesting note. Okay, We'll get into this more, Revelation 17 and 18 in a few weeks. But anybody know where ancient Babylon is located today? Anybody? It's uh, noted located in Iraq. Somebody said you're exactly right. Uh, so if you just think about the last 10, 12, 15 years where we have been concentrated as a nation, where the world is focusing, where ISIS is kind of gathering right now, and let that marinate in your brain for a little while, uh, things are going to get interesting in that area of the world. Verse 9. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships, worships the beast and its image, receives its mark on their forehead or their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out full strength into the cup of his wrath. These are hard words, verse 9. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy, holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There'll be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. Um, everybody who says to Jesus, no, thank you. I'm not going to follow you. I'm not going to do it your way. Leave me alone. Jesus will listen to their wishes. Uh, and this is exactly what the result will be. Um, they will be in rejecting Christ and rejecting eternal life. Verse 10, look at it. Drinking full strength, the undiluted fury of God's wrath. Um, and it's clear and it's blunt and it's not pleasant. They will be tormented with burning sulfur. Verse 11, the smoke of their torment is forever and let's just be honest right now, this is not a pretty picture. And this is not a picture that even lots of Christians like to look at. I don't really I don't want to think about this. I, I, I don't want to I don't want to focus on this too much. And many even say, uh, well, if this God of love, this Jesus is so loving, um, why all of this suffering and pain? coming their way okay and, and they get all caught up into 
Why would he allow that? And, and I'm just telling you, the reason is he didn't want this to be anybody's future, did he? Matter of fact, he went to great pains to make sure that no one had to experience this picture. But all who say, no, thank you, um, this is their future. Um, so the question is really not so much whether I like this picture, whether I enjoy, I don't think anybody enjoys it. Here's the question, are you ready? Is it true? Is this fact? Is this really coming our way? Is this really coming towards all those who say no thank you to Jesus? Okay, Twelve times in the New Testament, Jesus talked about judgment and hell and the lake of fire. Okay, So Jesus, twelve times in the New Testament, looks at this everlasting judgment and talks about it. So yes, Jesus is a God of love. Yes, Jesus is the one who left glory. But when we reject Jesus, reject what he offers us, new life in him, it's really a sad future for all who say, leave me alone. No thank you. And I just need to say this, if you're here this morning and you've never believed that Jesus came for you and took your place on the cross and shed his blood for your sin problem, if you've never believed that uh, early on Sunday morning he arose from the dead for you, um, then, then this, this is you. You're just kind of dangling by a thread. Jonathan Edwards said, you're literally dangling over the lake of fire by a thread. And the only thing holding you up is the breath in your lungs. That last breath goes, and here's your future. That's sobering. That's frightening. Go back to the text, verse 12. Jesus says, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Verse 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. This is the halftime speech to the followers of Jesus living in the tribulation here. Hang in there. Be patient, endure, remain faithful. And, and here's the idea. Are you ready? It's better to be faithful to Jesus and endure the trouble than to give in to the mark of the beast and then face eternal torment and judgment. Hang in there, followers of Jesus. Don't join the Antichrist team. It's worth it. What you're having to go through even right now is really what he's saying. Um, verse 14 I looked and there before me John writes was a white cloud and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand and then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sit sitting on the cloud take your sickle and reap because the time to reap has come the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who is seated on the clouds swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. 
it seems, verse 14, although there's some debate, I'll tell you this, it, it seems likely, verse 14, that's Jesus. A similar appearance to Jesus in Revelation 1.14. He has a razor-sharp, semicircular blade in his hand used to cut tall grass, used to harvest grain at that time. Just think about it, a razor-sharp. Uh, and now he's saying it's time to cut down the ripe crop. And it's time to separate the wheat from the weeds is really what's going on here. It's time to bring into the harvest and what's, what's really wheat, we're going to bring that in to the storehouse and we're going to throw away the weeds. Verse 17. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of fire, came from the altar and called out in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine, because its grapes are ripe. Verse 19, The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered his grapes, threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. And if you're squeamish now, uh, hold on. They were trampled in the wine press outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horses' bridles, for a distance of 1,600 stadia. The rotten moral condition has exploded now on planet Earth. And again, he's looking forward to, to the end of the tribulation, and now the satanic trinity is dealt with by a sharp, Sickle. Um, this is a picture of Armageddon here, verse 20. We're going to get there in 1915. And this is the worst bloodletting in all of history. This is going to be awful. For 180 miles, 1600 stadia, uh, surrounding Jerusalem, the blood is deep and the casualties are going to be enormous. And incidentally, 180 miles is the distance from the very northern tip of Israel today to the southern tip, 180 miles. So what he's saying is, my chosen people, my nation, is going to be filled with blood at this time. Uh, the grapes are going to get cut down and squeezed on God's wine press, and all those who reject Jesus turn their back on, cro on the cross, they're going to be squeezed as grapes get squeezed um, and the juice flows. This is the genuine, the original grapes of wrath right here um, in this picture. So, if the perfect coach, Jesus Christ, uh, gives this halftime speech to the tribulation saints halfway through, if the perfect coach were to come here today to Walloon, what do you think he'd have to say to us from Revelation 14? If, if Jesus were to show up here right now and say, you know what, in light of the events of Revelation 14, here's what I want you to be aware of. What would he say? And uh, I, I want to suggest two things that I think the perfect coach would have to say to us, church at Walloon today. Um, first, here's the question. Does Jesus love the people here in Revelation 14 any less than us? Think about it. I mean, they're dying and suffering and under attack. They refuse the mark of the beast, 
and many of them pay the ultimate price, does Jesus love them any less because they're having to suffer? And some of them are even dying because they're following Jesus? Does Jesus love them less because they've got all that trouble? What about the 200 million Christians around the world right now? 200 million Christians, that's a conservative number, are under attack and imprisoned and ridiculed and even suffer and die today, 2015, because they're followers of Jesus. Does Jesus love them less because they're getting persecuted and attacked? And we here in northern Michigan rarely suffer, rarely have to pay much of a cost for following Jesus. Let me give you a few uh, scriptures to chew on. Matthew 5.10 Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Blessed, God's stamp of approval, God's applause, God's congratulations is on the lives of those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Righteousness is living rightly and obediently to Jesus Christ. Staying close, staying fessed up, staying full of his spirit, staying obedient to his book. Blessed are those who are persecuted because they're living that way, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.10. John 15.18, Jesus explains, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute who? You. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And did you catch the beatitude in Revelation 14? Maybe you didn't. Go back to verse 13. There's a beatitude there too. Uh, bless, God's congratulations, God's applause, God's stamp of approval are the dead who die in the Lord during this time. They're going to receive their rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. What are their deeds? They hung in there. They didn't take the mark of the beast. They obediently endured and persevere, persevered, even when it cost them their lives. Um, here's what I think Jesus has to say to us today, Ray. I believe in a thousand ways the days when even the unchurched, accepted, and honored biblical values are pretty much over. The days when, when people who don't go to church uh, say, well, we, we don't go to church and we don't really believe and follow your, your Jesus, but we do realize your Bible and the values there are our values too. Those days are done, y'all. More and more following Jesus, remaining faithful to his teaching, his word, goes against the flow of our culture. I hope you're realizing that. The days of a free pass 
as a follower of Jesus in America, I believe are disappearing quickly. And the cost of remaining faithful to Jesus and his word is beginning to rise, even here in northern Michigan. I believe Jesus would say this to us. Uh, get your foundation in me and get your foundation built on my book and get yourself strong in me. Because on the horizon, uh, the winds of struggle and attack and persecution are just coming our way. Know this, church. Um, he, he doesn't love us anymore, and it seems that things are starting to come our way. Uh, get your foundation in order. Get it dug. Get strong and secure in me and in my book. Look at verse 12, Revelation 14. This is going to call for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. <laughs> we're going to have patiently going to have to endure and we're going to have to remain faithful to Jesus even in the midst of persecution and pain. Second thing I believe the perfect coach Jesus Christ would say is uh, regarding this wrath of God. Look at verse 10, okay? And, and these are hard words, they are, but I think they're there for a reason. It says, they, those who reject me, will drink the wine of God's fury. And it's going to be poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. And they're going to be tormented with burning sulfur in verse 11. Their torment will rise forever and ever. And then slide down to verse 20. That's that, uh, that final gruesome picture. They were trampled in the wine press outside the city. Blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horses' bridles for a distance of 180 miles. Now, here's my question. Um, Lord, why would you give us such a grisly picture? Lord, why would you have John write down such a gruesome image for us to read about? And, he, and I think here's the answer. I want this image tattooed on your soul. I want this, this image tattooed on your heart and seared on the hard drive of, of your mind. Because you want to know something? Matthew 9 is still true. The harvest is plentiful. Lots of folks in northern Michigan still need to be reached. But the problem is this. The workers are what? Still true today. Harvest is plentiful. Workers are few. And this judgment that we see pictured here, and it's gruesome, I agree, it's coming down the highway for the unchurched around us. Family members, friends, neighbors, co-workers, fellow students, people that we uh, sit next to in, on the soccer field, uh, at the band concert, at the basketball and football games, at Little League, you tracking with me? This is true for them. I believe Jesus gave us this grisly, gruesome picture to wake us up. Hey, y'all are sleeping and you're acting like this is just fun and it's no big deal. Hey, you can either accept Jesus or not. No. What do you mean? Judgment and wrath are really coming. I really need to wake up. This really is for real. This, this picture is for keeps. Which means what? You ready? 
which means we better start loving them with Christ's love and do that on a regular basis. They better see the love of Jesus splashing all over them. Those that we work with, those that we go to school with, those who live next door to us, those who are family members who we're pretty sure, I don't think they know Jesus. Well, you better show them the love of Jesus, the reality of Jesus on a regular basis. You better start praying for them. You better start, you better daily, Lord, I'm going to start praying for the people around me that I don't think they know, they're headed for this. They're headed for this awful picture. Lord, I better learn how to share the cross with these people. I better learn how to open up my mouth, and when you give me opportunity, I better learn how to talk to them about the cross and what you've done in my life in that empty tomb. I, I, better, I better get trained on how to do that. Um, so again, two ideas, I think, from the perfect coach in summary. Ready? The days of the free pass for Christians in America, in northern Michigan, I'm convinced are quickly coming to a close. And I could give you example after example, but you're, you're listening to the news. You're paying attention. Uh, secondly, judgment day is coming soon for those who are outside of Christ, which means the wrath and the fury, this is real and it's coming and it's going to be awful. So church, we better get busy. <laughs> the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You better start praying around for those around you who need Jesus. Well, how do I do that? Can I challenge you? Today, write down the names of five people around you. Neighbors, family members, co-workers, students, people that you sit next to in the stands. Write the names five people. And, and Lord, daily, I'm going to start praying for them. Praying that their hearts will soften up. Pray that they'll be open and receptive about the cross and the empty tomb. And Lord, I'm going to start looking for opportunities to speak up. I'm going to look for opportunities to splash love on them. Opportunities to share what you've done in my life. Coach asks this. Jesus Christ, I think he's asking this. Are you up for the challenge, church? Church at Walloon, I'm, I'm asking you now. You up for the challenge? You up for it? it, it things are going to get harder. There's going to be, it's clear it's going to cost us to follow Jesus. Are you ready? Is your foundation secure? And secondly, this wrath, this gruesome, grisly picture, it's true. This is history written down in advance. It's really coming. Uh, do you care enough to start sharing as the Lord gives you opportunity? Let's pray as we close. I'd like you to pause and invite that awesome king and coach of your life to speak to you personally for the next few moments. Would you ask the Lord to uh, give you five names for you to jot down? Lord, show me. 
I, I want to I hear from you. And if there are five people around me, neighbors, family members, co-workers, students, people that I rub shoulders with on a regular basis, and I'm pretty sure they don't know your son Jesus personally, I'm pretty sure if the wrath and the judgment began today, I, I'm quite sure those five would face the awful things that we just read about. And Lord, I'm going to get their names written down. And I'm not just going to write names. I'm going to start praying for them by name every day. Lord, I'm going to start praying for them. I'm going to start looking, Lord, for opportunities to intentionally splash your love on them, the reality of who you are. And Lord, I'm even going to pray that you'll give me the opportunity to speak up for you, to talk to them with love, with tact, but with truth. And share the story of what you've done in my life. And share how you've changed me. And he'll do the same for those five that you're asking me to start praying for. Jesus, I need to get this picture burned on my heart. Lord, I need to get this picture seared on the hard drive of my brain. The situation is urgent, and these folks desperately need to, to know your Son as Savior and Lord. And by your grace, I'm going to look for opportunities. I'm going to start praying for them. I'm going to get their names down. Lord, uh, uh, I realize the harvest is plentiful, most of the people around us don't know your son personally, but you can count me in. I'm going to be one of your workers. Anybody say, Jesus, see my hand right now. See my hand. You can count me in. Count me in. Yeah. Lord, thank you. Thank you for uh, even hard passages of Scripture. Thank you, Lord, for uh, showing us truth, even when it's truth that's hard to look at. And I'm praying, Lord, that you might give us the courage and the opportunity to even invite some folks to join us next Sunday. Give us the courage and the opportunity not even to wait till church, but to talk to them about your son on Wednesday or Friday as, uh, as you open doors. Lord, we love you. We're grateful for your book. We're grateful for your church where we can gather together and uh, love and encourage each other. Please uh, work powerfully in each and every one of these hands that were lifted before you. And I pray this all in the awesome name of your son, Jesus.